Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hello, everyone. My name's Chris. Um, it's really good to see a bunch of new faces that I don't know here tonight. And so I want to say a really warm welcome to you all. And I just, I hope you feel at home here tonight. Um, and for those of you who are here from youth, massive welcome to you as well. It's great to have you guys. Yeah, it's really good. So welcome to our home. It's good to... Oh, no, I feel like I just missed something really funny. I'm going to keep going. Um, we're starting new series tonight. At, yeah, that, that was really underwhelming. We're starting new series tonight. Much better. Um, I mean, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, so we just spent eight weeks looking through the Gospel of Mark, diving deep into who Jesus is and, and falling in love with him all over again. And it was really fun. So if you didn't catch any of the messages from the last series, listen to all of them. They're all on the podcast again, which is great. Um, so we're starting a new series tonight, but rather than just tell you about it, I want to kind of illustrate this series with a bit of a story. So wind back your minds to 2017, before the pandemic, before we all knew what was coming. Um, uh, I had what I would describe as a mini crisis of faith. It wasn't like a, do I walk away from everything I believe? It was more of a, do I actually know what I believe? Kind of moment. And there are a few things that led up to this mini-crisis of faith. The first one is uh, that I, I had a conversation with a friend, someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, and we were kind of getting a bit deep, and they said to me, so Chris, tell me, what is it exactly that you believe? Now, if you have been around church for a little while, that's like the moment, right? Like you listen to sermons about how to respond to that, you pray for those moments, and I found myself actually really struggling to know what to say. Um, I wonder how you would respond if someone were to ask you that right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share that with the person next to you. Um, uh, the second thing that led to this, to this little moment was um, I finished this journey that I had started back in 2011 of reading the whole Bible. And it wasn't like a Bible in a year plan. It was like I, I actually discovered that I have the chart that I was using here so this is a 10-year-old Bible reading chart. And so I'd read through a book at a time, slowly like go through commentaries, read it all, and I'd cross off each chapter until I read the whole Bible. And it took me six years to do that. And as I came to the end of the Bible, I realized that there was a whole lot of stuff in this book that just didn't fit the narrative of what I thought Christianity was. Um, one, one example, one passage uh, that really, I really struggled to reconcile with my understanding of faith was um, a short volume called the Old Testament. <laughs> I was like, I, I honestly, apart from maybe providing some context, I, and you know, the creation story is helpful, but otherwise, what is this doing here? Um, I, I was really not sure why the ministry of Jesus was relevant. You know, the bit between uh, where Jesus is born um, and the bit where he dies on the cross I, I really struggled to reconcile why that, why that was there. Um, and then finally, oh no, my iPad's going to keep locking itself while I'm talking. 
So don't mind me. Um, and then the, the fight, yeah, I know I was going to change the settings before I got, but anyway. Yeah, you guys, you guys are very gracious, so. Um, the final thing is, Jen and I had come back from our second trip to Cambodia, and we had seen poverty in its most extreme form. And I honestly, I, I came to realize that what I understood the Christian faith to be was not compatible with what I'd seen in Cambodia. It, it had nothing to say to the poverty that we had experienced. It was a very Western uh, version of Christianity that only really made sense if you were white and privileged. Um, now, this, uh, this crisis, mini-crisis of faith, it did come to an end, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, I, Jen and I went on holidays, and it was all better. No, it wasn't. Uh, we went on holidays, and a friend of mine recommended me a book. Thank you, Andrew Harvey. Uh, recommended that I read a book called Simply Good News by uh, a guy called N.T. Wright. And it kind of, it basically blew my mind, and it started this journey of discovering in a whole new way the message of Jesus. Um, it blew my mind. I, and the other thing I realized is that part of the reason why I was struggling to understand the essence of the Christian faith is because the way that the mainstream church understands the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is actually changing. It's actually changing, as simple as that. Um, now, this series that we are doing... It's titled The Kingdom Reformation. We've stolen that title from a book by a theologian called Derek Morphew. We've stolen none of the content, but just the title because it's a really good title. But if you, do, if you want a really academic and fantastic like theological underpinning for everything that we're saying for the next four weeks, I would strongly recommend you go and read that book. It's pretty heavy going, um, but it will give you a lot of the theology underpinning uh, what we're talking about. Another book that might be helpful for you if you want to go a little bit deeper and if you want to kind of see that what we're talking about isn't just like kind of, you know, made up and off. Thanks, Jen. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Actually, do you, here are my notes. Do you want to, <laughs> you want to preach for me? Um, and another book that would be really helpful to read is, is the book that I mentioned before, Simply Good News by Tom Wright. Um, it's Tom Wright is a theologian. It's one of his non-academic books. So it's still pretty heavy going, but it's really good stuff. So in the, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four topics that hopefully will give you a little bit. We're kind of taking a step back from the stuff that we talk about every Sunday. And we're asking, where does that come from? Like, how, do we have, how is it that we have the understanding of Christianity that we have today? Um, and what does the Bible actually have to say if you let it speak on its own terms? So this week we're going to do a bit of history, which is going to be great. Um, thank you, Ando. I knew you were going to do that because I asked you. Um, next week we're going to take a bit of a... So this week is like part one out of two. Um, I'm going to share next week and we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into what the Bible is and how it informs our knowledge of Christianity. Week three, uh, we have a uh, guest speaker, Greg Trainer, who has spoken here before. We love Greg. Um, and he's going to come and talk about what we believe about the end times, which is going to be nice and light, um, but really good. Uh, and then finally, Rob Giles is going to tell us, he's going to unpack for us how we tell the gospel um, with, a, with a kingdom lens, which is going to be really exciting. But uh, I might pray, and then we're going to do some history. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that um, you are here 
that you are speaking to us through your word. And so tonight, Lord, as we take a bit of a step back and look at the history of your church, I just want to pray that you would give us gracious eyes to understand that it's a story of people doing the best that they could with the things that they were given. And Lord, I want to thank you for your word that we can understand who you are and the things that you taught and the things that you did. And so we just want to pray that you'd be here with us as we unpack this stuff tonight. Amen. Okay, this is like the moment of truth. I want to do some some drawing for you. So, Jen, do you really do you want to come and preach? <laughs> Just it, clearly, you have more to say than I do. Okay. Oh, okay. Apple TV. All right. Okay. Andrew, what's the code? Three, five, two, one. So, if anyone else wants to broadcast on the Apple TV. You now have the code. Um, all right, that's my notes. Yes! It worked! Yes! Praise the Lord. Um, we're going to do some history. Is there anyone here who's like a massive history nerd? Can you put your hand up just so I know who we're... Okay, that's like maybe three. Is there anyone who falls... Maybe four or five, actually. Is there anyone who falls asleep when we talk about history? Me. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Your job is to laugh at my terrible handwriting, and that's why I'm, I'm doing this for you. So we are going to talk about the history of the gospel. I'm not used to like handwriting in front of a large group of people. So please forgive me. Um, And also for anyone who's into graphs and charts, this is for you, not to scale. Okay. All right. So this is the history of the gospel. I've drawn it going upwards so that it seems like it's getting better, as opposed to downwards so that it seems like it's getting worse. Um, So we are starting in AD 27 to If you want to understand the good news of Jesus, the best place to start is with Jesus himself. So let's just write Jesus and let's draw Jesus here. There we go. There's Jesus. If we're looking at uh, Jesus, I feel like I'm conducting you guys. If we're looking at, uh, at Jesus from a historical perspective, what we have is we have this unauthorized Jewish rabbi who kind of comes from nowhere. He comes from this backwater town in the middle of nowhere called Nazareth. He gathers an equally random group of people around him, uh, fishermen and tax collectors and religious nutcases. He gets them all together. He wanders around the countryside teaching and healing and, and preaching and getting the religious authorities really, really mad. And Uh, So he does this, um, but the the central message, the thing that he says again and again and again, the thing he's teaching is the kingdom of God. Like that is his central message. And if you read through the Gospels, start to finish, that's the thing he talks about more than anything else, the kingdom of God. Um, Towards the end of his ministry, we reckon about 30 AD, he was crucified, but surprise plot twist in the story, he rose from the dead after three days he commissioned the, his followers, the people who'd been, these, this random bunch of people, he sent them out to keep preaching the message that he preached 
He rose up to heaven and said, I want you to wait until I send my Holy Spirit. So they start uh, getting together. They meet in this upper room. Nine days later, we have Pentecost. This is why the um, not to scale is really important. <laughs> that gap is going to be like 700 years later. Um, so which, which we reckon is probably around A.D. 30. So the Holy Spirit falls on the gathering. They go out and this gospel message, this kingdom message that Jesus preached, spreads like absolute wildfire. Um, initially, it started to spread within the Jewish world. You know, it had come out of the Jewish religion. So we have... Um, we have, the message effectively at this point is that your Messiah, Israel, your Messiah has come. He's fulfilled all of the scriptures. He's fulfilled the covenant. Uh, and he's, he's made a new covenant where everyone is welcome, where the only requirement, you don't have to follow the law, the only requirement is that you believe that Jesus is Lord. And it absolutely revolu revolutionizes. Um, the, it's obviously incredibly divisive. And there are the um, religious leaders who want to hold on to Judaism. No, he's not the Messiah. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But it doesn't just stay within Roman society, which is quite extraordinary because it's... Um, sorry, it doesn't quite stay within Jewish society. It actually goes out into Roman society and becomes incredibly... This message becomes incredibly influential um, out in the Roman world. Uh, and, and the message there... Why was it so popular? If you were a Roman citizen, then you were part of a world where there were many gods. And basically the way to interact with the god was you tried to do things to appease them to earn their favor. And here is this God who is, the, who, who is made out to be the one true God, the creator God. All you have to do to follow him, all you have to do to appease him is to believe uh, that he died and rose again. And in return, you get the promise of eternal life. But what's more than that is that you get to be a part for, for an incredibly, incredibly um, structured and hierarchical society if you're a Roman who believes in Jesus, you get to be part of a new humanity where everyone is welcome at the table. And that's just extraordinary. So this message, it spreads throughout the Roman world like crazy until about AD, let me check my notes, 64, um, where there is the great buyer, well done, who was that? Ando, 10 points to you, of Rome. And here's some fire. I am a designer. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send out my rate card after the service. The Great Fire of Rome in AD 64 um, ha happens, and Nero, the emperor at the time, he says, it was the Christians. And so 34 years after Jesus, uh, after the birth of the church, suddenly Christians become one of the most persecuted people in the empire. Like, it's literally punishable by death just to be a Christian at this point. And this intense persecution, uh, amazingly, it doesn't actually slow down the spread of the gospel, it speeds it up. And this happens, so this persecution uh, happens alongside crazy growth up until 313 AD, where... I was waiting. Yes, thank you. A bunch of you know that. You're, you're not expected to know that information, by the way. I was just curious if anyone knew it. Um, Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of Rome. Now, 
At first glance, you're going to be cheering about that because clearly Christians aren't being killed on sight anymore. Um, that's got to be a good thing for the church, right? Uh, yes, but... Um, the, oh, and one of the other advantages of, of uh, Christianity becoming the, the, the official religion of Rome and, and not being persecuted anymore is that the Christians can get together and start to actually decide and write down what exactly it is they believe. They're not having to meet underground anymore. And so this is where we get some of the um, really important creeds, like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. They come out of this time. Now, so in some ways, this was a really good thing, but in other ways, it was a bit mixed. So, one, so the church at this point begins to formalize its structure and begins to assign people certain positions of authority, and, and they create a little bit of a hierarchy within the church, which could be seen as a good thing, could be seen as a bad thing. But one of the real downsides to Christianity becoming the official religion of Rome is that Christianity starts to be weaponized for political purposes. If you are high up in the Christian church, then suddenly you have power that you didn't have before. And pretty much that sets the scene for what happens for essentially the next 1,200 years. Okay, let's pull up the eraser. Go. No, never mind. Is that the eraser? Yeah, there we go. So let's just rub that bit out and bring back the pen. And pretty much for 1,200 years. No, that's not. Oh, oh yeah, I see. I've done. I'm just going to rub out the fire over here so no one gets confused. There we go. Glad you're all paying attention. So for pretty much the next 1,200 years, um, it is this kind of slide towards Christianity, all of the gospel being taken out of Christianity, and it basically becoming about power and structure and institution. Now, in some ways, uh, to, to give you a bit of a sense of what Christianity was like when we get to the 1500s, first of all, the Bible was only available in Latin, and the only people who could read Latin were the educated clergy. And so I probably don't have to spell out for you all of the um, inequality that creates within society. Salvation was effectively the business of the church, and if you wanted to be saved, if you wanted to go to heaven when you die, the way that you did that was by giving the church a lot of money and doing the things that the church told you to do. Christianity, as we understand it today, had essentially left the building. Um, now, to be fair to them, the church was also running pretty much every social service that was available at that time and doing a lot of the education too. So to be fair to them, it's not all bad, but it was pretty dire. What happens in 1517, um, a monk named Martin Luther reads through the book of Romans, realizes that something is horribly wrong, goes to the door of his local church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nails 95 theses, which are effectively 95 problems with the church. Now, I really don't want you to get the idea that that's how you bring feedback <laughs> within our church. Let's not take that as a biblical, pre like as a precedent. If, if you... If you if something's not working, come and chat to us. We really want to know it. Please don't damage the building. But what, what effectively started from, from this moment uh, was a theological, a social, and a political revolution. It's really difficult to describe the impact that, that this Reformation had on not just the church, but society as a whole. 
But a couple of the really important reforms to us tonight that, uh, that Martin Luther and the reformers brought into the church. First of all, um, the concept of the priesthood of all believers, which we in the vineyard like to call everyone gets to play. But it's basically the idea that the ministry of God's kingdom doesn't just belong to the clergy, to the ordained people. It actually belongs to all of the believers. And that was really, really important. Interestingly, it didn't, that didn't actually make its way into the Reformed church structure, but that's another story. Um, the availability of Scripture in the common language. For the first time in centuries, the Bible became available for anyone to read. Uh, another thing that was very important about, about the Bible is that um, the Reformers emphasized the authority of Scripture and not the church, and that's something we're very, very grateful for today. But finally, and the real kicker when we're trying to understand the history of the gospel is that the reformers realized that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus, not through works and not through the church. And we are forever thankful to the reformers. So anything I say to this point, you need to remember that we are forever thankful for the reformers for effectively rescuing Christianity. And it's, if, it's, if you don't know about the Reformation, read up on it. It's fascinating. 1555, the, uh, the Catholic and the Protestant churches sign an agreement where they basically decide that, you know what, countries can decide whether they want to be Catholic or Protestant, and that's okay. And so some people would consider that to be the end of the Reformation. Uh, Maybe it is, maybe it's, maybe the Reformation is still going on today. But all of us know that obviously from the end of the Reformation up until the present day, more fire, <laughs> 2021, everything was smooth sailing and the church went just fine <laughs> forevermore. Now, obviously I'm joking. Um, pretty much the story from that point, once, once that initial split in the church happened between the Catholics and the Protestants, people said, oh, we can actually like, divide ourselves up based on our theological beliefs. And the story of the church kind of since has been this history of, of movements and counter-movements. And, and there's a, there's a, you can, I, I should have put a slide up for it, but if you Google um, church history tree, you can actually see the, um, the spread of all the different denominations um, that we have today. And what we end up with is this uh, complex, highly broken um, but ultimately beautiful patchwork that we call the church today. And that's kind of how we got to where we got to. So Andrew Harvey says, what about the Orthodox Church? This is a very, very Western uh, take on church history, hence why it's so brief. Um, you guys can kill the, this guy now so I can load my notes up again. Or we can just keep... Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, thanks. Why have we just spent so much time talking about church history? I want you to understand, this is really important, I want you to understand that the way that we view and understand the gospel has changed over the history of the church. It's not like Jesus ascended and then the message and the story stayed the same ever since. You know, it wasn't until several hundred years later that we had the Bible in its form that we have it today for the first time. People uh, in the early church, they relied on letters from the eyewitnesses and the apostles, uh, the people who'd actually seen and heard Jesus preach. And as the church, I, what I hope you can see is that as the church became 
uh, institutionalized and, and intermingled with power structures, the telling of the gospel really changed up until the point of the Reformation. And for the most part, the way we understand the gospel has effectively stayed the same since the Reformation. Except, as I said right at the beginning, there are some changes that are starting to happen, uh, and not just on the fringes, but in the mainstream church. I wonder if you noticed as I was telling the story of, of the gospel that at some point, I'm not sure exactly when, but at some point, the main questions, the main thing stopped being about the kingdom of God, which is the central message of Jesus, and started being, how do I go to heaven when I die? Now, let me be clear, that's absolutely part of the story, but it's not the main bit, is it? We are seeing a change in the gospel uh, happening, uh, a reorientation of the gospel, if you will, in our lifetime. Um, And what's causing that? So there's a few forces at play. The first one is postmodernism, which basically means question everything. The... One of the, you know, there's all sorts of downsides to postmodernism, but one of the good things is it's, it's forced us and it's forced theologians to, to go back to the drawing board and say, what exactly does the Bible say the gospel is? If we read the Bible on its own terms, what do we get? As opposed to what has the church been saying for the last few hundred years? Another important force that's playing on us is post-Christendom. Christianity um, is... is I mean, it's really obvious in Australian society that Christianity is not the dominant cultural force anymore. And in some ways, maybe that's a bad thing, but I wonder if in some ways that's a really good thing. If we're becoming, instead of, instead of the main cultural institution, we're actually becoming a radical subculture, just like the early church. There's a decoupling going on between Christianity and political power, and it's really, really evident in our nation here in Australia. Finally, the way that we read the Bible is changing. We've realized, and this is actually what we're going to spend all of next week's uh, message on, but what we're realizing is that the Bible, it actually isn't written to us. It's not framed in a 21st century context. In 1947, there was a major, major discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, A whole lot of literature, um, parts of the Bible, but also a whole lot of literature from the time of Jesus that that gives us a new insight into what life was like. It helps us to understand who who Jesus was talking to, the, um, the things that they believed, the things that they thought, the things that they dreamed about at night. And we got this new window into um, the culture at the time that Jesus was preaching. And so what have we learned as we look back um, with all this, th- these changes, all this new information, what have we learned about the gospel? Well, first of all, something we've come to realize is that the understanding we, we typically have, particularly seen in culture, but also often in the church, um, the understanding that we have of heaven and hell is largely based on Middle Ages theology. Now, I'm not going to go any further into that uh, because uh, Greg's actually going to talk about that in a lot of detail in a couple of weeks. Another thing we've come to realize is that the gospel that was handed to us by the reformers, for which we are forever grateful, takes the, the, the narrative of my personal salvation and kind of blows that up to be the whole story of the gospel. Whereas the reality is only one part of an incredible, incredible story that the Bible tells us. It's a very, very important central part. I'm not trying to say it's not. 
but it's, it's one part of a bigger story that is more incredible than we could possibly imagine. And finally, it's reminded us that although this is part of the question, the whole question isn't, where, how do I get to heaven when I die? So what is the question that Christianity addresses? What is it that we actually believe? It would be uh, very rude if I didn't answer that question before we finish up. Um, and as we've told you for the last eight weeks, if we want to understand what the Bible has to say to us, if we want to understand uh, the central message of the gospel, we have to start with Jesus because it all hinges on him. It all hinges on him. If you were to open up your Bible, I'm not actually going to read from this passage, so I don't know if I'm up there now, but if we were to read from Luke 4, you would read a story about, uh, about Jesus. It's, it's day, effectively day one of his public ministry. It's kind of almost his like, uh, inauguration ceremony, if you will. Uh, he gets up in front of his hometown synagogue, and he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And I'm, I'm actually going to read to you um, what Jesus probably would have read uh, to, to the people who were there on that day from Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies, to all who mourn in Israel. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers for our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Jesus stands up in front of his hometown. He reads this, and he says, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this is fulfilled. Jesus came preaching the message of the kingdom of God. And what I've just read to you is a description of what God's kingdom is like. It's extraordinary, isn't it? In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, uh, who was one of the really influential early followers of Jesus, he describes, he effectively summarizes um, how Jesus went about doing that through his death and resurrection uh, in the form of a poem, which I love. And, and what he says, what the apostle, the apostle Paul summarizes the gospel in this way. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. 
Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is the first in everything, for God uh, in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies and separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are, a holy, and blame- you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. And the way that it, um, it, it, it finishes off that poem in the, in the NIV, it says, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. The gospel is not just a transaction that happens when my sin is taken away. The gospel is the story of the creator God coming to rescue his broken creation. The gospel is the promise of all things being restored and made new. And I love in Revelation 21, uh, when uh, God is coming back to earth and restoring all things, he says, I am making all things new. And the word new uh, that, that gets translated there, it means new with respect to form. It's not like we're getting rid of the old one and putting in a new one. It's like we're taking... Uh, we're taking what was there before and we are working with it to make it perfect again. I just think that's extraordinary. The gospel is the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus and to begin to experience that future reality now. And finally, the gospel is the creation of a new humanity that's not defined by sin, but by the fullness of Christ. When we read the New Testament through the worldview of its original readers, and when we let the Bible speak for itself, we realize that the good news of Jesus is better and more far-reaching and more incredible than we possibly could have imagined. So I want to wrap up uh, by reading you three questions uh, that come from John Ortberg, who's a wonderful, wonderful spiritual formation writer. He asked this, What if we stopped thinking about eternal life as something that we can only experience after we die? What if we stopped thinking of Christians as people who profess beliefs about God and instead focused on becoming disciples who know God? And finally, what if salvation isn't mostly about getting you to heaven, but about getting heaven into you, and I would add, into the world around us? Why don't we stand and let's pray. Now, if uh, any of this is new to you or news to you or um, if you think I'm preaching heresy, which Andrew Harvey, I think, said earlier, it's fine. You got me onto all of this, mate. Um, come and chat or don't, don't nail things to the door. Um, come and chat or, or read some of the books that I recommended. But... Um, when I, when I started to realize that Scripture was not a set of principles that you're supposed to believe about God, it was actually the story of God rescuing his people and the invitation to be a part of that, it absolutely transformed the way that I live 
and the way that I worship and the way that I do church and the way that I work. Like it, it affects every single part of you. And so I guess my prayer for tonight is that God would, as we, as we kind of behold the glory and the goodness of, of the good news of Jesus, is that it would deeply transform our lives. That's my hope for us tonight. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, God's Spirit that was poured out on that day when the church began. I'm going to ask him to come and basically move mountains inside of us, uh, to begin to transform us from the inside out as we behold the, all the goodness and all of the glory of Jesus. So come, Lord, come. And close your eyes, put your hands out, whatever's helpful. We're just going to wait. I'm going to wait on the Lord.